0: So there's a there's a popular saying that's often repeated by Christians and one's kind of recently found a new life on Facebook and, and Twitter maybe you've seen it uh, it's a line commonly attributed to Saint Francis of Assisi uh, that says preach the gospel at all times use words if necessary <laughs> and, and I think we can appreciate uh, what folks are getting at when they say that that you know, as Christians, we should live in such a way that our lives point to the person and work of Jesus. And, and I know that I've said uh, before more than once that we need to be careful how we live because for some folks, watching our lives may be the only glimpse of the gospel that they ever see. But, you know, as much as we want to be the gospel before a watching world and live out its implications, the truth is that the only real way we can make the good news known is going to be to do it through words. Because verbal communication is the means that God has appointed by which people are brought into a right relationship with Him. And so it's a message that we dare not keep to ourselves, right? But it's a message for the people of every time and every place. It's a world-shaking truth that we are commanded to communicate to everyone that we meet. Which is really our theme today for... Uh, this Pentecost Sunday, but it's also the topic of the psalm that we're going to be looking at. Um, For those folks that are just joining us for the first time, we're doing an expository look through the book of Psalms, and we started out at Psalm 1, and we're at Psalm 49 today. So if you're following along in your Bibles, as I encourage you to do, this is Psalm 49, which is superscribed to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And the psalm writer says, hear this, all people, Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb, I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain He's like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Selah, which means stop and think about that. Like sheep we are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. For he will rescue me. Selah. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praised when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perishes. The Word of the Lord. You know, when I was reading through that psalm this week, I thought what a perfect fit it is in in God's providence for Pentecost Sunday because, as I was saying in the opening, it really touches on all of the themes of this Christian holiday. Uh, The theme of the futility of our human efforts in the face of God's better plan. Um, The theme of our creaturely wants and... Desires, even when we know God has a definite will for us, the theme of man's pride being counteracted by God's overarching providence, and finally, really, the triumph of the Word of God and the Spirit of God over the so-called wisdom of this world and the spirit of the age. As God, through His plan of salvation, is in Jesus Christ systematically undoing all of the evils that men and women have so willingly participated in since the beginning of time. And, you know, I think really one of the clearest places where we can kind of see that uh, played out is in the events that happened way back at the Tower of Babel versus the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world on the day of Pentecost. And I want to kind of show you uh, how they fit together and bookend with each other. And so I want to take you back just really quickly into the pages of the first book of the Bible to show you where this story begins and how it's all going to fit together. So if you're following along, uh, Genesis 11, verse 1, says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down, and they're confused, their language, and so... They may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, the name of the city was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And, you know, in thinking on uh, these kind of issues in his book Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin wrote Man... In his nature is a perpetual factory of idols, and that factory is never idle. And nowhere is that more clearly seen than in this text about the Tower of Babel, a text that falls right after the story of Noah. Uh, And you would think that people would have learned a lesson, right? I mean, it's just two chapters before we have the story of the flood where people are living in unrestrained sin, and, and God judges them, and he sends a deluge saving only eight people. And you would think humanity would learn their lesson, but do they? No. Noah and his family leave the ark. Their descendants begin to subdue the earth again, and before you know it, sin is on its merry way, leading directly to the Tower of Babel. Leaving one commentator to say on this, you know, it's interesting that God sent the flood to wash the whole earth, but there's one thing that water alone can't clean, and that's the heart. Because by nature, we're sinful. And the fact that people went on to build the Tower of Babel so soon after the flood is proof of it. And you know, it's not that God doesn't want people to be industrious. It's not that God doesn't want us to be ingenious and creative. He's the author of all of those things. But it's the intent of the heart that's using them that matters. And that's still really true today. I mean, take a look at at all the things that as a people we're able to do, right? We uh, We can build roads and And hospitals and schools and uh, amazing computers Uh, we can find cures for all kinds of diseases we can put people in outer space for goodness sakes we can do all kinds of ingenious things but whose glory are we doing them for Uh, is it for our glory or for god's and we need to be reminded of the words of psalm 49 today that man in all his pomp will not remain he's just like the beast that perishes This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Just like those people who wanted to build that gigantic city and that huge tower. And first they said it was so they wouldn't be scattered over the face of all the earth, right? They wanted to hang together. But the idea was in direct disobedience to God's command. Because remember, God had told Noah and his descendants after they left the ark to be fruitful. And to multiply. And to increase. And to fill all the earth. But what do these people say? Uh, nah, we don't want to. We, we want to do our own thing in our own way. And, and that's really the root of all sin, isn't it? What I want versus what God wants. I mean, that could be a whole sermon just by itself. right? Uh, their second reason for wanting to build this massive tower was so they could reach heaven. And now from the context of the language here, it isn't, uh, if you look at it carefully, it isn't the people actually attempting to build a tower who's uh, top would be like jack's beanstalk and climb into the clouds though no, they wanted a tower that reached into heaven's power right that's exactly what those ancient uh, mesopotamian ziggurat towers were for they're for making a connection with heavenly powers like a, a horoscope or a ouija board a conduit into the spirit world uh, and the inner walls the top tiers of those temples are, are decorated with these blue glazed tiles with uh, with the sun and, and the moon and the five planets that they knew about it at the time lined up in the plane of the zodiac. If you think about it, the pyramids of Egypt and later the, the Mayan temple pyramids are built kind of along those same lines. Uh, and one author, a commentator, said on this, is not an innocent, naive, primitive effort to reach out to the Creator, but instead a brilliant but blasphemous effort to dismiss the need for the God of heaven forever. An effort whose enterprise reeked of all the human pride and arrogance that had dominated mankind since the flood. And they did all of this so that they could, in their own words, make a name for themselves. But you know, I love the irony uh, of what happens in verse 5 when we read, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So it's pretty clear God wasn't very impressed with it, was he? And He didn't actually have to physically leave heaven to see it, but it's a figure of speech as to how feeble these men's best efforts were, that God would have to come way down to even see their tallest tower. Uh, These men who thought they would live forever and do whatever they pleased, no matter what God commanded, but they forgot that he sees even the wise die, and the foolish and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. And that their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names. And you can almost picture God up in heaven, right? Looking down toward the earth and saying, You know, these people that I have created and preserved are all united now. But they're united in opposition to me. And they all have one language and they're all on the same page. And this is what they decide to do with that? Because with this kind of effort now, nothing will hold them back from all the uh, debauchery they can imagine. And nothing, nothing will be impossible for them to do to bring dishonor to God and destruction to themselves. And so what judgment does God bring? Right? He, he didn't send an earthquake to demolish the tower. He didn't send a hurricane to blow it all away. There's no fire and brimstone. He just simply makes it so people can't communicate with each other anymore changes their language that's it and now as punishment goes i think that's that's simple it's powerful it's appropriate and the result though is chaos and confusion that leaves all of their pride in ruins and so the people disperse because they can't talk to each other anymore and they take those new languages with them and they fill the earth just as the lord had originally commanded and for that section that's where the account ends but that's not where the story ends that's just the beginning because you know we've talked about this before but if you track the redemption story throughout the bible one way to look at it in the scriptures is to consider how the old testament explains why we need redemption and the new testament details how right the old testament tells us why we need it the new testament tells us how we get it and how god accomplishes it like how the pride of humanity that brought the curse of the Tower of Babel is redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that day that we're celebrating today. because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was the sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm that filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. And at that time, we're told there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And they were completely amazed How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. And what can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the other 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen, listen. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about it. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, you know, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And he prearranged a plan that was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God, but God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. And now he is exalted to the highest place in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. So let everyone know for certain That God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit this promise is for you and it's to your children and to those who are far away all who have been called by the lord our god and we're told that those who believed what peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about three thousand in all and do you see how those texts from babel and pentecost kind of bookend each other because you know when we when we look at these passages in the light of jesus christ you're able to see a a whole new perspective of what the story of the Tower of Babel is all about and what the power of Pentecost accomplished, which is not really a reversal uh, of Babel, but it's a redemption of it. Right? Like reversing Babel would mean that people return to speaking one language or, or that hearers return to hearing one language, but that isn't what happened, is it? That's not what happened at Pentecost. Because instead of people of every tongue and tribe and language and nation being united by their speech, now they're united by the Spirit instead of by the language that they speak. You know, our culture uh, may be different, uh, our language may be different, but the message is the same. The message of the wonders of God's salvation in and through Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit calls upon all men and women to repent and believe for the forgiveness of their sins. And it really answers the question from Psalm 49 when we started out today uh, as to why no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life because the ransom of a life is costly and can never suffice and he should live on forever and never see the pit. And, you know, that's really what both stories are ultimately about because in the fullness of time, God sent his son, sent him to die on the cross to pay for my willful sinfulness, And he rose from the dead to ascend to the highest heaven. And now he draws God and humanity back together again. With himself, with Christ as the only bridge, the only means of access, the only legitimate connection between the two. The only person that could build a bridge to God with just two pieces of wood and no towers necessary. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit beginning at Pentecost, when God pours out his Spirit on his people, immediately they begin to preach not in in incoherent babble but in actual foreign languages by the same holy spirit's power and today that same power has caused the gospel to conquer every language barrier and travel over every continent and unite god's people into one whole and holy christian church and brothers and sisters god himself has given us his kingdom. And given us the community of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And here we are today in this assembly. And what's our hope? Our hope is that because of Christ, we need to have no fear now in times of trouble. But rather the courage to step out publicly and declare what He's done for us. Just like Peter did. Just like Peter did in the temple. And say in the words of Psalm 49, hear this. Hear this, all peoples, give ear All inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And this promise is to you and to your children and to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. All who have been called to come to Jesus and to save yourself from this crooked generation. Amen? Amen. Father God,